Roxanne Flynn. I'm a master healer who works with all earthlings to reunite them within themselves and with each other, regardless of the dimension they're currently in. Meaning, I'm a medium as well as an animal communicator, medical intuitive, and channel for all beings. I use the tools of shamanic journeying and soul retrieval to support animals and humans as they heal from past trauma. I'm certified as a Reiki master teacher and as a canine massage therapist. This is the Animals I View podcast. As many of you may know or may not know, I've talked before about having my own internet radio show at one point in time that you can still find, as I learned when I was starting the podcast and subscribing to all the different services to carry the podcast, that the former radio show is actually still on iTunes, much to my surprise and delight. And on one of those radio shows I had as my guest, a very dear friend and colleague who is a fabulous dog trainer. I just adore her. She knows who she is in case she's listening. And one of the questions that we agreed I would ask her, because of course, when you have guests, at least this is what I did, is that I would talk to the guest ahead of time and I would say, hey, here's my perspective of what would be most beneficial to to my audience of listeners, what do you think about this? And is there anything that you would like me to highlight about what it is that you and your organization, if there was such an association, do? And so we would come up with a list of questions. And so one of the questions that I asked her that, of course, I already knew the answer to, but I just wanted to hear her answer, which was, when does dog training end? And of course, her answer was, it never ends. And I think for humans, because we tend to live in a species-centric, meaning human-centric viewpoint, I guess, of the world and how everything kind of revolves around us, if not us individually, most definitely us as a, us as a species, is that we tend to think of dog training as, oh, so I I got a new dog, I adopted a new dog, and I'm going to teach them to sit and to lay down and to speak and to come when I ask them to come and to stop barking and all these sorts of things. And in reality, what's going on is that there's a building of a relationship. There's a building of a relationship using... To be perfectly honest with you, I think from my perspective, and I think the animal's perspective, the common language of energy, which animals are really well-versed in, and humans, by and large, are mostly not well-versed in, and we're using this language of energy as translated by visual cues, verbal commands, visual observations, kind of cause and effect, so that the bottom line is a building of a really firm partnership between animal and human, and particularly where I think it comes to dogs, 
all other species, I think perhaps <laughs> the jury's still out on how much they want to please us, especially cats. Just kidding. You all know I love cats. That at least with dogs, we know that the majority of them love to please. And so while we might talk about it as dog training, most trainers would tell you, just like my friend would say that the dog training never ends, that it really is about training the human, about how to interpret and understand the behavioral cues and those observations of your your canine companion that you're observing and how that translates kind of in dog world. So in truth, we're really learning more about the world of dogs than, for instance, the dog is learning about the world of humans. Because to a certain extent, (laughs) they read us, as I've said before in the past, like yesterday's newspaper. They understand what's going on with you at work. They understand what's going on with you in your love life. They understand what your goals are. They understand about the puppy that you perhaps lost when you were five or six years old and how possibly that wound may not have healed over. They understand before you even see their picture on an adoption website, say, for instance, how their soul path and your soul path is perfectly aligned so that you both get the awarenesses that you're seeking in this particular lifetime because they are most definitely here for that. They are most definitely here for not only helping themselves in this shared experience with you, but 150%, if not more, in supporting you as you also gain your awarenesses that helps with the evolution of your soul path. Because what a surprise, they are light beings on this planetary experience, just like you are. Their experience just happens to be animal and your experience just happens to be human. The advantage they have, of course, is that they are much more firmly tied to the planet, to the earth herself, They are much more attuned to understanding the balance, the nuanced balance of the relationship between all other species. And they, of course, kind of automatically include you in that nuanced balance between species because they also know that dog training, such as it were, never ends. They would probably put it in terms of, hey, when you and I go to dog training class for the first time, if that's where we're headed, you're going to be learning some things about you. You're going to be learning some things about me. I'm going to be learning some things about you. I'm also, as animal, going to be learning some things about me. And I'm hoping that you're going to be learning some things about you. Because in truth and fact, it's really, really good if you learn some things about yourself and if you allow yourself to surrender to the experience. And so if you say, wow, I had no idea that I was perhaps as not clear and as not consistent in my giving 
commands as my providing, probably more accurately, direction to my canine companion as I could be. Because I think most adult humans would like to think of themselves, at least on some level, most of us do at some point in time, of being adults. And so we think, yep, mm -hmm, I'm here. I'm an adult. I know pretty much all there is to know about this experience-ish. Enter this sweet little waggy tail, four-pod, soft-furred, doe-eyed little bundle of joy to come right up in your grill and say, yeah, there's really some other things that I can show you about yourself if you'll let me. And I think that last part, of course, is the key part. Because when one steps into dog training, I do perceive that it's a humbling experience. It's meant to be a humbling experience because you likely have not had, and even if you have had other animal companions before, and I would go in so far as to say, even if you've had, say, for instance, a particular breed before, say like golden retrievers before, you've definitely not had this particular golden retriever before. That's like saying you've had friends before. And you would say, well, each one of my friends is different. And I treasure and value and love each one of my friends because they're different from each other. Well, that's great, but they're still all humans, right? So why are we putting that qualifying factor of, oh, yeah, it's a golden retriever. I know all about golden retrievers. Yes, I can train a golden retriever quite adequately. Thank you very much. I don't really need to go to training. Again, enter said brand new golden retriever into your life. Holding up this mirror, as we often say, y'all can repeat it with me, like looking in a mirror on a bad hair day, saying, oh, we would tend to disagree and we would appreciate it if you would go to training perhaps a second, third, fourth, fifth, tenth time around, if only to refresh your memory and so that you and I start out in the same square together, which is building our relationship together, separate and apart from any other canine-human relationship that you may have had in the past. And sometimes I do think that that's what it takes. I do think that as humans, we are not used to seeing animals as individual sentient beings. As I said, I think we kind of tend to lump them, first of all, by species, dog, cat, bird, gerbil, etc. And then if that allows within that particular species group, golden retriever, um, Doberman, um, Swiss mountain dog, and then on the other side of the aisle, we would have Himalayan, we'd, we would have Siamese, we would have domestic short hair, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. And while I, th I do think it's true that some species have more breed-specific tendencies, again, specific to that particular breed, I would invite you not to lose sight of the fact that every single sentient being who comes into your life is a separate and unique soul and light being, and has just as much to share with you and you with them, as have had all the other light beings in any given animal experience shared with you on your life path up until this point in time. 
and I think learning how each one of you works within the context of call and response, of understanding how can I show you how to best please me, and on the other side of the, the equation, here is what is really going to motivate me to want to please you even more. Some dogs are really food motivated. That's absolutely fabulous. Some dogs are not so food motivated and they're definitely going to want to be more praise motivated. There are some dogs who are like, wow, I really need you to work my brain. And once you work my brain, then I will feel completely and totally relaxed in a much better place to be able to work with you effectively. If my brain has not been worked enough, I'm going to be like one of those pinball machine balls, kind of bopping from one place to the other. You're going to get frustrated. I'm going to get frustrated. I'm going to become increasingly uneasy because your voice is going to raise. I'm going to sense the energy and in what's happening with you, and I'm not really going to understand what's causing your voice to raise and for your energy to shift into one of frustration because you're not understanding that I'm not in the best possible place to be able to respond to the direction that you're giving me and the direction that you want me to go in because you haven't been paying attention necessarily, perhaps, to who I really am in this particular time and place. I think the difference between socialization, meaning is it really night and day? It's not really. Because I think to a certain extent, socialization is about helping them to adjust in their animal experience to a mostly human physical environment as newly incarnated beings. It could also be in addition to newly incarnated beings, i.e. puppy stage, it could also be a new home. You know, after they've already been five, seven, ten years on the planet, all of a sudden they're like, oh, yep, this is a new home. There's going to be new sights. There's going to be new sounds. There's going to be new smells. There's going to be new textures. There's going to be other beings. You get the picture. And the socialization will likely continue for their lifetime. Because say, for instance, you adopt a puppy. That's great. And they come to you already socialized. I'm sure you all have seen the videos and maybe participated yourself before in the socialization. There's a a plastic wading pool. They put empty water bottles in there and they invite puppies to go in there and they invite them to play a little bit. The bottles are squeaking. They're making funny noises. They feel funny underneath their feet. There might even be smells that are coming from them. In other words, they get used to being in an energetic environment that could actually be pretty stimulating for them. There's the same sort of socialization exercises with other puppies. We call that puppy play. Yes, it is puppy play, but they're also being socialized to understanding what the other, to a certain extent, (laughs) boundary violation cues are from other dog beings, that they run anywhere from the beginning of an Elvis curl of, you're kind of displeasing me and I'm going to show you this because I'm not really upset by what this violation of this boundary is, but I'm still going to tell you anyway, all the way up onto and right before actual teeth to skin contact, we have a pretty loud 
and pretty clear air snap. With some perhaps deep growling, the hackles might be raised, the tail might be in an upright and fairly locked and loaded alert position. So they need to learn how to get along with each other. But the same sort of socialization kind of occurs when you bring a newly adopted animal into your home. These are beings, perhaps both animal and human, they've never met before. So they have to learn how to get along with each other, which is why one word about animal communication is that before you adopt, I would invite you to talk with your current animal companions about, hey, I'd really love to do this. We have a lot of love to share in our home. I know that you're as anxious perhaps as I am. Maybe not so, but I'm asking you to get on board with sharing our home with others. And most definitely, if you know about your animal companion already, that they're really not looking forward to having another animal companion come into the home at this point in time, I would invite you to take that very seriously. Because they don't joke about stuff like this. They're, they're usually not going to be, yeah, nah, I was kidding about that. No, it was perfectly okay. Absolutely bring it on. If you ask me and I ask them, they're going to tell me, how do you feel about us adopting another female dog at this point in time? If I get a meh and kind of a shrug of the shoulders, I'm going to tell you, This is not another animal being that is looking forward to having another animal companion come into the home. And then to a certain extent, at least from my perspective, you proceed at your own peril. That doesn't mean that anything that follows is not fixable. It's just going to be more challenging because you weren't paying attention, which kind of (laughs) brings us back into the dog training arena, so to speak. It's kind of a constant, this socialization and this training. You get a new job with longer hours. Your animal companion is going to need to be socialized to you not being home as much. I talked in an earlier podcast, what's happening, I think, for a lot of animal companions kind of across the globe is this whole pandemic thing when all of a sudden you're home a lot (laughs) and perhaps they are delighted at your being home a lot, which is fabulous and wonderful for everybody concerned. It could also be as they are creatures of habit, just like we are, they kind of like their alone time when you go off to work in the morning because then they think, oh, great, I can lay in the sun. I can scratch wherever I need to scratch and lick wherever I need to lick. And no one is ever going to say to me, stop doing that. That's rude. (laughs) And then when you come back through the door at the end of the day, they can be uber delighted because yes, they're really happy to see you again. The more you think of your relationship with your animal companion as being kind of on a continuum of like these little starts and stops, maybe of socialization as well as training, the better it's going to be for all of you and the better it's going to be for your family. I have definitely been part of some families where the family is expanding. The human family is expanding. New babies are coming into the picture. I remember quite fondly, Mr. Bear and Miss Betsy, who happened to be mother and son 
rescue from a puppy mill. And up until this point, little kids coming over to my client's home was something that Bear and Betsy were definitely not a big fan of. And I think perhaps there might have been trauma from before of being, frankly, just in a puppy mill and maybe being fearful about new puppies as well as older dogs and how they responded to that. You might imagine the whole boundary experience of being in a puppy mill operation would be dramatically different than actually being adopted into a home. But, you know, we work together. We work together with new sights, with new smells, with new sounds. Their guardians were absolutely just the best ever about being patient with them. And fast forward just a short, if memory serves, six to nine months, and maybe even not as long as that. And both Bear and Betsy were quite bonded to this sweet little girl addition to their family and would make it quite clear that things that the guardians were doing were actually not okay because now this sweet little baby girl had made her appearance in the family. And so again, there needed to be a recalibration and another shift of what was once okay and inside this boundary was now not okay and outside of the boundary. And as long as you understand you are in a relationship with them, and just like any other long-term relationship that you have in your lifetime, to which you are fully committed to that other being and incorporating the old adage, the only constant is change, the more you can understand how these shifts and these changes and these recalibrations, if you kind of let them flow in and out, the easier it will be for everyone to kind of shift and flow together, which is the best part, together. At least that's how the animals see it. Thanks for listening today. I offer all new clients a free 15-minute consultation. Reach out if you think I can be of service via www.lazanflynn.com. Come and find me on social media, Facebook, Twitterverse, Instagram, and LinkedIn. This has been the Animal's Eye View podcast. I'll see you next time. Thank you.